every relationship that you are in before you meet your person, the one that you are designed to be with, is not going to work. Yeah, it's great so saying it. Yep. The fact that you're in your 30s and you haven't had the healthiest relationships before does not suggest that you will never have a healthy relationship. It just means you've been in partnerships that weren't meant to be. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love & Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Averill. Welcome to Love & Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Elliot and I had been planning on recording again, so I threw a quick little question sticker on my Instagram stories to see if you guys had any questions for him, as he is a frequent special guest star here on Love and Life. And we have some exciting news to share with you, which will roll out in just a couple of weeks. But for now, I said, hey, do you guys have any questions for Elliot? Because I know you really appreciate the man's perspective on all things relationships. And so here are a couple questions that came in. Elliot is willing to field them in just a shorter episode to address the needs that are on your heart right now. All right, Elliot, first question. How important are looks versus personality? (laughs) I'm sorry to laugh. Do I have to choose? I think that's a really good follow-up. That's a good part of of the perspective right away. Attractional theory, Karen, which you've studied as much or more than I have, is super important. Yes, looks do matter. I don't recommend someone begin a dating relationship or even increase intimacy in a dating relationship if they're not attracted to the person physically in some way. Now, attractional theory also tells us that the more we love someone and know someone, accept them, affirm them, appreciate them, the holistic beauty of their physical nature will increase. Mm -hmm. And so as you understand their heart and their soul and see the beauty in those things and the steadfastness and commitment, all of those things will add to the layers And so is the personality more important than the looks? I don't know if there was one more important than the other, but they both matter. So personality-wise, there's certain elements of personality that are pretty unchanging. And so if we recognize, wow, this person's beautiful or super handsome and I really love them and think they're fantastic, and yet there's elements of their personality that are really difficult and that feel like it hurts us or blocks us or inhibits us, that's probably more important than the physical attribute that is so strong at that moment. So I don't know if I'd give either one more importance than the other, but I do think they're layered a little differently. And our understanding of attraction can alter a little bit as long as there's a general chemistry and connection. But our ability to navigate relationship through personalities is pretty, pretty consistently similar. What do you mean by consistently similar? Meaning I'm hyper and random and the idea that that's going to just dissipate over time is not likely. Okay. My wife's super structured and linear and organized. She's not going to all of a sudden stop being that way. She's very firstborn in her style. I'm very middle child in mine. Those aren't going to likely change a whole lot. They can certainly be navigated, adapted, understand how to be more effective with each other through those unique differences. But to think that they're just going to change is not likely. And let me add a follow-up question on behalf of the listener who I don't know if she would have had this follow-up question, but I do. So I know a lot of times women will be criticized by men who say, all you want is that hot bad boy and you never give the nice guy a chance. So then maybe a woman will go, okay, I want to give the nice guy a chance. And maybe my heart doesn't give me butterflies when I hang out with him. He's not the kind of, woo, make me swoon. 
he's so attractive, but I know he's a really good guy with that strong, solid personality, someone I can feel safe with. Should they move forward hoping that the attraction will develop? Or would you say, you better not do that because you might try to give the nice guy a chance, but if you don't feel that instant chemistry or at least pretty soon chemistry, you're setting yourself up to be in a platonic relationship, which eventually you're going to be probably catching yourself looking at the guy you actually do find attractive. Yeah, I think valid point. And the safety issue there, I think, is gigantic. Okay. So especially if we've had relationships where we've been hurt by men, we might enter in and look for that nice guy. And as you are speculating, the attraction could gain and could grow relatively quickly when we feel safe and feel appreciated and affirmed and protected. Uh, It can grow pretty fast. But if it doesn't grow after four or five dates, even though you feel safe, if you you don't find yourself thinking about him, or wanting to look at his picture or online or call him all the time. That could be an indication that there's just not quite enough there. And I'm not saying a safe romantic relationship is bad. Some couples can be completely okay with the theory and the attractional theory would say you do need that base foundation of attraction as well to have holistic fulfillment. And let me clarify that you may want to call him all the time, but as a woman... We subscribe to the research that looks at male-female dynamics set a solid foundation when we let the man pursue. So though we might want to call him all the time, we're yeah. not going to move on that impulse, correct? The, the indicator for me is the want to. Yes. Okay. Just want to if clarify. you don't want to at all, in fact, you find yourself, oh, I wonder if I'll call tonight. I got other things I want to do. That could be an indication that there's not enough attraction there, even though he's safe and even though he's a wonderful person. Yes. And do you think that women can grow that attraction more than men? We always hear that men are more sight-stimulated and they may be more drawn to a woman and it's a yes or a no right away. Either he finds her attractive or he doesn't. Whereas a woman can be like, oh, I didn't think he was all that cute, but then he's so funny. And he, like you said, he made me feel so safe and he's such a secure partner and he validates me and affirms me and that attraction grew. I think the attraction grows differently. Oh, okay. So I think, yes, men are more judgmental upfront about the external beauty. Do they find her beautiful or not? But I think for the woman, the attraction can grow through the safety I was talking about, the protection, the provision, the care, and strength that she observes without feeling vulnerable to it. And for a man, I think the woman, if he finds her relatively attractive and then she has such great nurturing and empathy and encouragement and belief, wow. All of a sudden for a man, he can go, she is amazing. Because the holistic package now overrides any type of less than amazing attraction on the physical side. Now, holistically, it's everything's so wonderful. Oh, I love that. I think that's really encouraging for a woman who maybe doesn't feel that confidence. She can know that her other qualities can, in fact, Absolutely. elevate even that physical attractiveness that maybe she doesn't feel that she possesses. I would encourage her to start working on whatever she needs to so she can present herself with more confidence in that realm. But even if she doesn't, she can say, hey, but I know that I have these strengths in my personality and my ability to nurture and care and provide warmth and empathy, like you said. Yeah, and we recognize as all of us age, no matter how well we take care of ourselves, we're not going to quite look the same. It doesn't mean we're less beautiful or handsome to our spouse that we love tremendously, but we recognize as far as external cultural impact, it's just not there the same way. So that's when all those holistic features and elements are more important and more sustaining. Yeah. Beauty fades. Not the heart. Yeah. I'd love to connect with you via my weekly newsletter. Joining the Love and Life email list ensures you're the first to know everything going on in the Love and Life family. 
You'll receive Insider Perk pricing for consultations and events. And it's the best way to keep in touch when I do what the research suggests is very healthy and take breaks from social media. Subscribe on my website, loveandlifemedia.com. And as a bonus, you'll get my free Empowered Dating Playbook. All right. Thank you for that. Let's look at the next question. You two make me happy. What are your signs? (laughs) (laughs) I'm a Gemini. I don't even know what that means. I want to first say thank you for saying that we make you happy. It makes our hearts happy to know that when we share what's on our heart and what we are hoping to provide is encouragement and provide tools and resources and the research and Elliot's vast experience working with couples to try to strengthen relationships of all kinds and certainly in particular romantic relationships. That makes us so happy that when we do this, this makes you happy. I'm a Capricorn like Elliot. I do not know really what that means. (laughs) We know our signs because that's out there, but we're Christians and I think the astrology stuff is a little bit of a different realm than the Christian approach to understanding who we are and our personality characteristics, as we talked about in the last question. But um, that made us giggle, so thanks for that question. I do want to add one part to it, though, I think is important. I think she's also commenting, she, I assume it's she, but I don't know. I think she's also commenting on the sibling bond. And I think it's important for the listeners to understand that though we've always had pretty good fun together, in my rough identity years, when I was mean and cruel and was hurtful to you many times, intentionally, physically, emotionally, mentally, you stayed by me and kept believing in me and kept coming to my games and supporting me anyway. And then as I grew up, gave my life to the Lord, surrendered all my craziness and started to become a leader and a counselor and a teacher, we were able to go back to that initial connection that we've always had fun playing together, making things up, doing commercials, all the stuff we used to do where our brother would be like, what are those two? What's their problem? <laughs> We were very immature to him. He was the firstborn, serious. What are those idiots doing? But I think (laughs) your listeners can feel and hear that bond. And the reason I want to bring that up, besides talking a little bit about who we are as people, is that type of relational bond is what you want to find in a romantic relationship. I'm not trying to talk anything weird about you and me, but research tells us that the sibling relationship often most correlates to your future marital relationship. And most good sibling relationships have pain in them. We grow up together. We're going to make mistakes. We're trying to figure out who we are. And so I know I was the meaner one to you, but you can admit to your listeners that used to provoke me. It's not like it was just me being a pain in the butt at times, but that bond that they hear now is not only are we both very passionate about relationship and the Lord and finding identity and finding peace and finding true love and living and embodying that, but we really are passionate about others finding it also. And so I think your listeners do respond to that sibling bond and our mutual joy from a little different perspective. Your research and in mind, your analytical, your giftedness with all of your words and research. And then I'm very much more pragmatic and immediate in application. So I think it's a wonderful balance. And I just wanted to comment on that. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't heard the research. I had heard, I'd seen in the last 10, 15 years that the sibling connections and the sibling influence on our own individual development has been woefully underplayed in the mm. developmental psych literature. It's always about the parents. Yeah. But I hadn't heard the research that even some of those sibling dynamics will be ways of relating that we can learn in our childhood, in our family of origin, 
that can actually be something we might aspire to in our romantic relationship. And I think that's a really key point because you're right. We, even when you were mean to me, which all big brothers are mean to little sisters. So I'm not going to try to play victim here, but I was always still, this maybe was like masochistic on my end, but I was always, yeah, your number one fan. And I was all, I loved how athletic you were and how, what a competitor you were. And I idolized that. And I would want to always, always at your games with my little pom-poms and everything. And even there was that realization that, yeah, there's a facet of, of our sibling relationship that's not healthy at the time, but we were children and we're immature and we're working our stuff out. And yet we could still, in the midst of that part that wasn't so great, I could still be an advocate for you. And you could still yeah. la- make me laugh and be really cool big brother when my friends came over and stuff. Yeah, and the, the authenticity between siblings is more genuine than the authenticity between child and parent. That's so a fact. I could be way more real with you even when I was mean than I could when I was trying to figure out, oh, can I earn dad's favor or can I make mom happy besides tormenting her? And so I think it's true with Warren as well, that I was way more real and honest with him, even in my violence and anger than I could be with my parents. So I think that authenticity factor translates too. There's a certain rawness about the sibling relationship that's just way different. And we also see that play out in roommates. When you go to college or you live off off on your own with another roommate, that kind of correlation between how do you do in a living environment with another human being who's not your spouse can easily play over and associate with how you'll then relate with your spouse in a similar living situation. And I love that too, because I share with my community a lot that when women maybe have had, like I did, so many relationships that tanked and didn't work out, you can start to doubt yourself. Do I not have what it takes to be in a healthy relationship? And I always remind women, there is nothing that I, with my best friends, with my brothers, with all the people in my life, those relationship skills absolutely generalize into the healthy and happy marriage I have now. Absolutely, for sure. So I love that reinforcement that our relationship skill building that we do in all these different contexts, from sibling relationships to roommate relationships and beyond, those are relationship skills and behaviors and patterns that we can absolutely use, even if it's like someone like me who isn't going to get the chance to use that in a marriage until longer than they wanted to, But those experiences are not wasted. They will be the building blocks on which you will build your healthy romantic partnership. On top of that, it's important then to recognize that not every sibling relationship heals. So you and I healed through it. And then by the time I was a senior in high school, I felt great protection over you and was starting to be actually proud of who you were as a person, not just because of your cheering for me, but because who you were as a person, (laughs) right? So it became less self-centered. And so we were able to heal some stuff. And then by the time you came up to school and I was there, we had we started true friendship then. It wasn't just sister brother. So for our listeners out there who have a strained relationship with a sibling, sometimes for very good reasons, it's important to recognize that separation or that division can impact your ability and willingness to trust your spouse, especially if that sibling was same or opposite gender, and now your spouse is opposite gender. And so there's some transference there. That's why these wounds become so important. So maybe it's an episode, a sibling wound episode, because man, they're out there. And they're significant and they do impact one of the couples I'm working with right now. That sibling is in the middle of their relationship and is the number one problem. Okay. So of course, we're just on the same wavelength because the minute you started bringing that up, I was like, we've done mother wound, we've done father wound, we're going to do spiritual wound and we've done the divorce wound. And I thought sibling wound is going to have to be on there. Have you heard? You can now listen to my book, Single is the New Black. Don't wear white 
till it's right. As you know, I wrote the book I wish had been available to me when I was single. So obviously, it's not about how to snag a man. Rather, it's all about how to stay strong amidst single shaming and remain true to yourself and never settle for anything less than an extraordinary relationship. Find it on Audible or iTunes. And for a free sample, check out Chapter 11 of Single as the New Black in Episode 145 of Love and Life. So next question. Are you twins? <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. No, but we do share more similar features than our brother. We do. Who looks a lot like the mailman. <laughs> <laughs> so for anyone who doesn't know our family, my mom and dad, my father was, I don't know, maybe at his tallest before, you know, when people get older, they start to get a little shorter. He was maybe 5'8", five, 5'7". Five, five, so, five, probably, yeah. Yeah, probably 5'7". My mom's 5'2 and 3 quarters, so she said, <laughs> and now she's got to be, again, just she's in her 80s now, so a little bit shorter. And then you and I are a little bit below average height. You're right. what, 5'10 at your peak? or No. 5'11 uh, versus... 5'9 at, at my peak, 5'8 now. I think sometimes the programs at the basketball games... Well, they, they all lie. They, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <They> all, <laughs> I kept growing taller and taller in those programs, yeah. Yeah, and I'm 5'4", but you never know it because I always wear heels pretty much. <laughs> but, but then my bro- our oldest brother is 6'2", and just a bigger frame and bigger body and Elliot and I are just more like similar body build and anyway so that's why Warren looks like the mailman but he actually looks like the two brothers of our mom and dad who were big yes and also apparently grandpa Anderson who we didn't get the chance to meet because he died before we were born or maybe you were like two he was tall but I think again I think what your listeners are saying is they're seeing the playoff of each other's temperament personality and skill set and gift set we're both highly extroverted highly gregarious. We enjoy presentation and teaching. So I think your listeners are again saying the happiness, the twin, they're feeling that connection. And I believe it is also spiritual. It's what happens in the body of Christ when two people both have committed their life to the Lord, know each other and love each other. In the Bible, we're to call any of our believing friends, sister and brother. Mm -hmm. So we have the thrill of doing that both spiritually and biologically. And so there's that, I think, they're hearing and seeing and feeling that connection as well, that there's a true depth of relationship. And, and we do have some similar look and some similar personality. Yeah. Yeah. I posted the picture of us. I think it's one that Tim took when we were at the studio one time. And we must have looked particular in that photo. We looked very similar. All right. One last question for you, sir. I just started a new relationship, became official this Saturday. I'm 33. He's 39. We both love the Lord. He's a Marine and has gone through a lot. Hmm. He's in counseling and doing that work, and he's made very clear that he's dating to marry. What are some of the things we can do to know if this is it? There's been so much peace and growth since we started talking, but neither one of us has been in a relationship this healthy before. Thank you. Wow, that's an encouraging letter on so many different fronts, and thank you for this man for his service to our country. Absolutely. So it sounds to me like... If he's already declared his intention to date towards marriage, super happy about that, by the way, especially at his age and with his experience in life. And she is coming underneath his leadership and his pursuit in that manner. In the podcast that we will release that from the marriage conference, your listeners will be able to see a lot about that scripturally, spiritually. What does that mean? How do we apply that? So I hear all the right things to keep moving forward. It sounds like they're being wise and patient. He's 
working through some struggles or trauma or things that he experienced in the military that I can't even imagine. And I think they've been wise to do that. And I think entering into these stages of intimacy building, which you and I talk a lot about in some previous episodes, taking their time, spending intentional time together and talking through bigger issues. I talk about thematic date nights. We're going to go to Chili's tonight. We're going to talk about money. And you come in there with a kind of blank slate and just say, how, what kind of money philosophy did you grow up with? What did I grow up with? How do you, are you a saver or a spender? And what are some goals you have? Just trying to walk through big thematic issues in a safe, neutral environment, not waiting for a problem to develop and then arguing about it, mm-hmm. but actually trying to get those values out front. Mm. So there's all kinds of worksheets I have that I've sent to Karen and her producer that will be available online sometime soon for couples to grab and work on these kind of things together. I think it's the foundational discussion of values as a primary way to build intimacy at this stage with their ages and with their commitment to each other. Certainly because they both trust in the Lord, significant prayer life, intentional prayer about the relationship and feeling the peace and the freedom to keep loving and growing together, being careful with the physical bond that they don't establish that so significantly so soon That'll eradicate some of the desire to build the earlier stages. It's meant to be a fulfillment culmination bond rather than the initial bond. I'm rambling a little bit now, Karen. Go ahead and give some thoughts in your end. No, I just wanted to clarify that last piece because that temptation as the intimacy is developing is to rush the physical because it just feels, I mean, so, yeah. For, yeah, it feels so right and that safety's there and you just want to have that fullness of the expression of the intimacy. Absolutely. But we, as we talked about, and I was thinking about the live we did at Judson a couple months ago. And I can, we can, Tim can include that episode as part of the show notes here, because that one in particular, we went into depth about stages of intimacy and how, though, how tempting that is to have the physical culmination. What we do is we rob ourselves of the true intimacy foundational building that involves the emotional and even bringing in the research men in the male physiology, the dopamine is building as they're having that emotional bond being built. And when the physical sex happens too early, the dopamine starts to plummet for men. That's right. That's and right. he loses interest, even when he was really feeling it, legitimately feeling a strong attraction for this girl. So we have to be mindful. A man is able to be aware of this, and this guy sounds super conscientious and he would want to know this. It behooves him, even though, of course, everything within him is saying, I want to just get to that fullness of the intimacy of the sex act, it behooves him to wait too because it allows his body, his mind, his spirit, his fullness of his being to continue that healthy building of attraction for her. And it behooves her to be a gatekeeper on that. And I know people hate that because it's like, why is it the woman's duty to always be like, no, we're not doing that. But it behooves her because she wants him to continue that strong drive toward her and pursuit of her. And part of that is her keeping the pacing of the physical as well. Some sub points coming off of that commentary, Karen, that we know with the males and their hormones, certainly testosterone is driving a lot of their sexual desire. Right. But the bonding hormone, the oxytocin, that is so important for both men and women, increases while the man is inhibiting the testosterone drive and not in a way that makes him angry or frustrated, but just helps him find the deeper bond, emotional, mental, spiritual bond to the woman of his life that can get in the culminate with the physical. I've been really taking some deep dives into nutrition and some of the things that also affect our mental health and certainly our physical health. And I just came across 
an episode from one of the podcasters I listened to about hormones. And they talked about how hormones are not all ranked equally, so to speak. And the most important hormone for men and women is oxytocin. Mm. When oxytocin is at a nice, high, robust level in our systems, our other estrogen, testosterone, all those other hormones are operating better. Cortisol, some of the other hormones that affect our stress release uh, responses and so forth. So as much oxytocin as possible. Now, if you don't have a significant other with whom you can get that those hugs in that release oxytocin, you can do this by hugging your niece or nephew. You can do this by petting a dog. All these mm. sorts of things can release oxytocin. And it's not just important mentally, relationally, as you're speaking to, it's also important physically. Another thing I wanted to talk about for this relationship with this couple is if they already know they're moving towards potential marriage, they feel that peace, they feel that connection. As we talked about in a previous podcast that Tim will link, starting to slowly introduce each other to your greater influences and community. So how do best friends respond? How do connections with siblings and parents? If they're church attending folks, how do your small group feel about it? You're not asking for people to judge and condemn and be your therapist. You're just trying to get a general understanding. How do we meet together within our tribal units? To use uh, kind of sociological terms here. How do we connect? I remember when I brought Angie to Cincinnati for the first time, it was a big deal to me how Scott and Kelly responded. Right. And when they were like over the moon with her, almost as much as I was, I'm like, oh man, that helped a lot. Because they had been around some of my relationships that weren't very strong. That, and mainly because of me, by the way, not the women. But they saw the difference in how I was responding and Angie's accountability and her structure. And and that's just that was a huge deal. And then, of course, mom and dad's blessing and you and Warren and everything else. But what does it look like? And it doesn't mean every single person's going to love it, but it's an important generalization. How do we meet and connect with each other's families? And even though they're in their 30s and they're not in their early 20s, I think it still matters. Oh, yeah. I think that's so helpful because getting to the piece that she ends with in this question, she has some trepidation because she says neither of them have ever been in a healthy relationship. And get that feedback, even as you spend a couple hours together with a group of friends or family members as the relationship progresses, just observing how people are responding to this person that you're considering a future with. That's valuable feedback. Yeah, and I I, want to piggyback on that some more still. So the friends who love us the most and the family members who truly authentically love us, they will see what is good and affirm it quickly. Mm -hmm. I've never seen Karen so happy. I've never seen her so much at peace, right? They will feel that, mm -hmm. see that, just like we commented to you when we love Dan so quickly, mm -hmm. right? Because we systemically can see each other differently than someone off the street can. They can go, oh, that's a cute couple, but they don't know. They don't know the mm -hmm. differences and the variabilities that are involved. And for this young lady who's saying, hey, both of us have had possibly some unhealthy relationships in our past, you don't want to necessarily drag that up into conversation always with your potential spouse, but to do some soul searching and some recognition about, hey, what was unhealthy about the things I was involved in, in the past? What was my responsibility? What things do I need to own? Have I been doing a good job walking through those, getting some healing, doing some work, doing some counseling, spiritually forgiving people if there's forgiveness issues I need to address, admitting to the Lord in that, surrendering are releasing our right to be angry or releasing our right to be hurt still, things of that nature. Uh, we'll talk a lot about in the spiritual wound episode, but I think those are all really important and it sounds like they're doing an awesome job. It's a very encouraging question. And I want to encourage them with the reality that every relationship that you are in, 
before you meet your person, the one that you are designed to be with, is not going to work. Yeah, it's great so you're saying it. Yep. The fact that you're in your 30s and you haven't had the healthiest relationships before does not suggest that you will never have a healthy relationship. It just means you've right. been in partnerships that weren't meant to be. And I'm exhibit A on that. So I want to leave them with an encouraging word of, yes, you're doing your work. He's going to counseling and trying to work through some of the pain and the trauma he's experienced. And she is very aware that she has waited for a man who's going to say, I have an intention toward marriage, which is what her heart desires. So I just want to say, there's every good reason to believe that some of the things that you go, man... I can't get it right with this guy. I couldn't get it right with this guy. Also because you weren't meant to get it right with those people. Yeah, and I, I hear the letter or the the comments coming out of a place of faith and not fear. Mm-hmm. There's a very positive, proactive sense to our comments. People can think we're overanalyzing, but that's what we're trained to do. So <laughs> I can hear the faith side there and the belief. And so when we have those doubts is not to go back into those fears and assume like you're saying, oh, my identity is as this flawed woman who dates poorly. And say, no, especially as a believer, my identity is in Christ and I'm a new person. I'm forgiven for any things I have to do. I've forgiven the others who need to be forgiven. And I'm going to be fully invested, free and alive in this new relationship and trust it. And when we have that visceral difference, when we just, it sounds so cliche, we just feel something's different. It normally is because it is. Right. And you know that. And I used to tell you that about the guys too. I'm like, Karen, I just don't see the holistic factor that just amazing, like the joy in you just multiplied and exponentially feeling safe and free and protected and provided. And, and I saw it with you and Dan in literally seconds. And you guys with Angie were probably just so hopeful that I could get my act together that you probably were, were pretty thankful that she was so dogmatically a structured woman. They're like, okay, he's going to be okay now. He'll be all right. <laughs> but we've both experienced that. The difference, sure. the wow factor, even though mine was at 21 and yours was at 39 or whatever, it's the same thing. It's like, oh my goodness, this is different. Yeah. And trusting that different doesn't mean it's wrong when we've had some struggles in the past. Wait, say that last part again. Trusting that. So trusting that the different feeling doesn't mean, oh, I can't trust this. It's, it must be wrong because I've felt this other way in the past. And like saying, if those other relationships didn't work out, maybe that feeling in the past was not the one you want. You want the new feeling, which says, right. hey, I think this might be something that could really last. Yeah. All right. So thanks for the questions, everyone. We will do another Q&A sometime soon because as therapists, we are taught to meet our clients where they are. And you guys aren't our clients, but you're our community and whatever's on your heart, we want to make sure that we are fine tuning our conversations to really meet you where you are and where your concerns are. So thank you for submitting those questions. Thanks a lot, listeners. I love being a part of this and helping connect you to Jesus and each other. The love and life hack for this week is The total package, including commitment, intimacy, and the sexual romantic chemistry. Dr. Robert Sternberg, in his theory of love, suggests that that's called consummate love and it is available. And it's what most of us are looking for. So believe that it's available to you. We're believing it for you. And may God help you find that in your life. We are here to support you on that journey. Thanks as always for joining us today. Remember to head over to loveandlifemedia.com to grab your free empowered dating playbook that'll allow you to be on our newsletter list. Elliot's getting ready to put a resource for couples on there with some of the worksheets and some of the exercises he uses with the couples he works with. And that'll be another resource that's available to you very soon. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Abril and Pastor Elliot Anderson. And until next time, Make it a great week.
Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abram.